We are in week two of our series called Origins, as we are thinking about where we came from, where our story began, and we're going all the way back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. And last week, we really tried to unveil and remember and look at that story and realize what they had in paradise, how that when man was originally created, uh, they lived in a place of bliss and of beauty and of goodness. And why in the world, and I say that no pun intended, why in the world Maybe I said it pun intended. Why in the world would they make a choice that would cast so much of that to the side? I don't even uh, comprehend, and yet I know how I function and how I make decisions. And today, we want to look at this story of Adam and Eve and learn about our human nature and see why we are the way we are. This story is so important to that. Maybe for you as you think about the Bible and you think about the book of Genesis and you think about some of the incredible stories that are in there, maybe you struggle to say, I think that really happened. Well, it's interesting to think about that Jesus, the one that we believe in, the one who lived perfectly, died for our sin, said it would all happen, and then said he would come back from the dead, did all of that, came back from the dead talks about the story of Adam and Eve in his teachings. And he's telling us this story matters for who we are, for us to understand who we are. So I'm going to get right to it this morning. I'm going to get right to the thing we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about sin. And I know this makes you all really excited. You're like, man, I'm glad I showed up today, right? We're going to talk about sin. Perfect, great, wonderful. In fact, it's the other way around, right? You're like, oh, man, do we have to talk about sin today? Because a bunch of us are sitting there thinking, well, if we're talking about sin, are we going to list out a bunch of particular sins? And if we list out a bunch of particular sins, is my particular sin going to get mentioned this morning so that I have to get really uncomfortable with who I am and what I do in this pet that I have that I call sin, this particular one that gets to me. Well, we could do that, but this morning I want to look at this from a broader and a deeper view and think about the original sin and how all of this began for us in this thing called life. So if I were to give you a simple definition of sin this morning, there are so many ways we can define it correctly, but if I were to give you a simple definition of sin this morning, Sin is when any of us, human beings, disobey the holy God. When we say holy God, we mean that he's perfect. We mean that he's righteous. We mean that whatever he says goes, that he's always, always right. And anytime we as human beings choose to disobey him, we sin. So as we look at the first story of Adam and Eve, again, they had it made. They lived in paradise. They lived in a climate that was incredible. They lived in an environment where the animals didn't attack them. They were friends with them. They got along with them. They were pets, if you will. There were no wild animals that would eat them. Uh, the list goes on and on of the provisions they had and the blessings they had, the relationship they had with each other, the relationship that they had with God. And I want to make this very clear as we did last week. Because so I think a lot of times we miss this. Man was not created a sinner. When God created all of what we know in creation, including man, he looked at it and he said it's good. In fact, he went further than that and he said it's very good. And Adam and Eve lived in a sinless state when they were created. They had everything, including the missing element of sin, which is absolutely incredible. 
So there were two specific trees in all of creation that God decides to point out. He names them. One of them he names the tree of life, and one of them he names the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he tells them, you only have one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right, so two trees amongst a bunch of trees, we can't eat of just that one tree, and that's the only one rule that we have. Sounds simple, right? Look at Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 1. Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Going to see it on the screen, and hopefully you're finding it uh, in your Bible and or on your device. If you need a Bible, there are some underneath the seat in front of you. Genesis chapter three, beginning in verse one. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, "What?" If you've read this story before, maybe that doesn't shock you. Maybe you need to read it again and realize what we just read. A snake is talking. I don't know about you, but I'm backing up. I don't have to have a snake talk to me for me to back up. Are you with me? Anyway, this snake is talking. He's talking. And so he begins to dialogue with the woman. Now, in their defense, in Adam and Eve's defense, in hanging out with and not being scared by this serpent, they had never experienced anything go wrong in their entire lives. They were used to getting up every day and walking and talking with God who created them and everything else. And so I guess if you kind of put yourself in their shoes and you really can't because they were barefoot, that's the only joke I've got today. If you do that, that was your one chance to laugh today, guys. That was your one chance. If you need to get it out, get it out now. All right. But if you put yourself in their spot, They walk and they talk with God who created everything, who can do anything. I don't know if the animals could communicate with Adam and Eve on a normal basis. I don't know if the dogs could talk. I don't know. They made some great movies about talking dogs. I don't know. But they were used to hanging out with God. And so for whatever reason, they were not just shocked when an animal, a snake, began to talk. Probably with a lisp, mind you. But anyway, I just made my second joke on the fly, and it didn't go so well. One day, he asked the woman, did God really, did God really say, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say? If you are a parent, or you had parents, which includes all of us now. This kind of sounds about how we think when we hear our parents say something or when our kids hear us say something. They try to like, did they really mean that or can I get around over here, right? What did they mean exactly? And so Satan, who is so smooth to shift the narrative, begins shifting the narrative. And the, the, um, the serpent here is who we later know in Scripture as Satan or the devil, or Lucifer. He was originally created by God as one of his angels. He was good. He decided, you know what? I don't like my position here in the kingdom of God. I want something greater. I want God's spot. I want to sit on his throne. 
And so he got a bunch of people together and uh, angels together and said, hey, do you agree with me? And they're like, yeah, you ought to take his spot. And God wouldn't have any of it. And so God eventually cast him out. And Satan became evil. And Satan today is the father of lies, and he is a murderer, and he is the one that wants to destroy us. Why does Satan want to destroy me? Why does Satan want to destroy you? Why did Satan want to destroy Adam and Eve? Because he hates God, and therefore Satan hates everything God loves. Do you know what God loves more than anything else in his creation? People. You are God's most prized creation. At the time, Adam and Eve were God's most prized creation. And Satan wanted to shift everything and make everything go into chaos. Satan is smooth and he is sharp and he is cunning. I think a lot of times when we think about Satan, we either think he doesn't exist or we get in our minds this, you know, horns coming out of his head and breathing fire and all this, you know, ugly kind of hissing sounds that may come our way. And yet we see him coming to her with fascinating forms and fascinating tales the same way that he comes to us today with false promises and twist the truth and lie so it sounds good and makes evil actually appear beautiful. And here he says, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees of the garden? So he shifts the narrative. He, he, he makes the focus go to somewhere else. And instead of Eve focusing on the provision of God, think about all the things that God had provided for them. A perfect place to live with a perfect relationship with each other and a perfect relationship with him and all the many other blessings and the provisions. He shifts the narratives to the prohibition. He shifts the narrative for them to think about what they don't have, what God is potentially holding out on them. And I would suggest that's where some of you are struggling with God today. You are not focused on what he has provided for you. You are not focused on what he has blessed you with. You are not focused on what he has given you. And before I trip and fall, I'm going to do that right there. You are not focused on all the wonderful things that he has given you. Instead, you are focused right now thinking, well, if I choose to really follow God, I'm going to have to give this up, and I'm going to have to give that up, and I can't do that. And I really don't like God because I think God's holding something out on me. And that's what Eve began to think about. She began to think about, man, what does God not want me to have? Why did God give me all of this and then say there's something else out there that I don't want you to have? Listen to me carefully. If God tells you that something is wrong and you shouldn't do it, it's because he wants to spare you the pain of what that is going to bring you should you choose to do it. He knew when he told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil what it would cause. They didn't know, but he knew the pain, the suffering, and the death and the separation. He said, don't do it. Don't touch it. Don't, don't eat it. Don't take of it. Don't take of it. And they began to think, well, man, maybe he's holding out on me. The moment you begin to question the goodness of God, you will question the will of God, and you'll begin to doubt the story of God. And for some of you right now, you're like, ah, God wants me to do this or God wants me to do that. And eh, I don't know. I think he's keeping something from me. And you're going to miss out on everything God's got for you. Look at verse 2. Eve replies, the woman replies, of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman said. Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman said. So it's interesting if you look at this verse 
there is a word, a particular important word missing. So you see there in verse number two, I'm going to read it again. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. That's great. But go back up to verse 16 in chapter 2 and notice what God says. Notice what God says to the man. Genesis 2 and verse 16. Can we go to that verse? It says, but the Lord warned him, you may freely, say that word with me, freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. She began to forget the freedom that she had. God said you can freely eat of any and every tree except for that one. And when she told the serpent what God had told them, she left out that key word free or freely. If you recall last week and if you were here, we talked so much about paradise and what we, they had. The big idea was this. Our parents had freedom and they had freedom from some things and they had freedom to do some things. And I want to give those to you again. Our parents had freedom to rule. Our parents had freedom to choose. Our, free, our parents had freedom to walk with God. And here's a couple of things they were free from. It's so important. Are those things going to come on the screen? There they go. Keep them coming. To rule. There's another one. To walk and talk with God. Look at these things. are Free from shame and free from guilt. Never did they have to worry about anybody finding out their secrets because they didn't have any. Never did they have to worry about anybody finding out what they had done wrong because they had never done anything wrong. And so there they are with that freedom, and yet she begins to think, maybe there's not freedom. Maybe this innocence isn't all that it's cracked up to be. So she lost sight of her provisions, and she lost sight of her freedom. So maybe you're asking yourself this question, the same question she was asking herself in this moment, and that is this. Is God holding out on me? As you think about God telling you what to do and what not to do, do you maybe think for a moment, you know what? I think God doesn't want me to do this or to do that because there's something out there that I want and I should have, but he doesn't want me to have. Or is God telling me to do something because he wants to get me away from something else that I really want and I really crave and I really think that I have to have? What's he depriving me of? What pleasure does he not want me to experience? What knowledge does he not want me to have? What satisfaction is there out there that I haven't found yet? They could eat freely of every tree in the garden, including the tree of life. Now think of this for a minute. you got two trees that have names. The tree of life... And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which one are you going to pick? Tree of life? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, from our vantage point, can we agree? Pretty simple choice, right? Tree of life, man. Tree of life. Eve, don't do it. Don't go in the woods. Don't do it, right? Tree of life. Tree of life. And yet, there she is contemplating taking from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But when somebody's in your ear tricking you and deceiving you, and if you're in the position of Adam and Eve, you don't even, listen to me, you don't even know what the word evil means at this point. Much less have you seen the effects of it. Can you imagine not knowing what evil is? Can you imagine no bad in the world? They've never experienced anything go wrong, ever. You don't even know what this word means, and yet this talking snake comes up to you in smooth, slippery words, and you begin to think, man, maybe there is something there that I need to have, something that I need to know, and something that I need to experience. Look now at verse number three. 
It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. What tree was that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She knew the rule. It says, you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. I think she added, even touch it. Verse 4. Listen to the serpent. Listen to the snake. Listen to Satan. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. She just said, God said we will die. And then the serpent comes back and says, give me a break. He's just kidding. You won't die. Beginning to cast doubt in the word and the authority of God. Verse 5. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God. Now, they knew what God was like even more than we know what God is like. So when he said to her, you can be like, like God, something clicked in her. And it goes on to say, knowing good and evil. And again, you don't know what evil is. You don't know what it means. You've never seen the ill effects of it. You assume that if God has access to it, you ought to have access to it and that you'll be better for it. And she begins to allow herself to think about it. Look at verse 6. The woman was convinced. You ever had one of those moments where you've decided to do something that was wrong, that was sinful, that you knew was going to bring about consequences, but you, for whatever reason, had listened to the ideas and thoughts of Satan and the world and our culture, and you have become convinced that it's the right move for you now. That decision to say, you know what, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway because I don't think it's going to bring me any harm. I think it's just going to bring me pleasure. I think it's just going to do me good, and so I'm going for it. That was that moment for her. She became convinced. So she was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. Be careful what you stare at. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. This is when it happens. This is the moment of the fall. She took the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Now we have all these questions that arise in the story that I don't have the answer to. Why didn't Adam speak up? Why didn't, why didn't he intercept? Why didn't he kill the snake? I mean, I don't know how, what your dad says about snakes. I can tell you what my dad says about snakes. I repeat it all the time. The only good snake is a dead snake. Amen. We're preaching truth right now. We're preaching truth. Like, the next time a snake comes up to you talking, I just suggest biblically you should kill it. All right, kill it, kill it. I don't know why he allowed this dialogue to go on, because he was there, right? You know what the story says? He was there. I don't know why he didn't step in. I don't know why he didn't say, Eve, wake up, snap out of it. This is crazy. Obviously, he was experiencing the same lure. Obviously, he was experiencing the same deception. But in so doing, both of them find themselves eating of the one tree that God says not to do. This is the fall. This is the original sin. This is the first time that man disobeys God. One rule, and they blow it. Look at verse 7. At that moment, their eyes were opened. Okay, that sounds like a cool thing to happen. They could see maybe more clearly, but look what it says. And they suddenly felt shame. That for the first time in their life, something has gone wrong. They have done something wrong, and they have a reason to hide. They feel shame. It says they felt shame of their 
nakedness. So they, they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so what we see happening in this moment is an immediate separation between the man and the woman. Before there was no separation, including clothes. They walked around with no clothes on. This was God's design then, not now. This was God's design then. And they had this, they were the only two people and they got to walk around naked with each other. But now they've sinned against God, they've broken his rule, and all of a sudden they begin hiding themselves from one another. They began to cover themselves. And I don't know how you potentially today are trying to cover something up, but you cannot cover up your sin. You cannot do it to the point that you rid yourself of shame in and of yourself. Look at verse number 8. So what they did, look what it says. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. What did the people do? They hid. What did God do? He came for them. Notice that the separation from God that takes place in the story of Adam and Eve is not God separating himself from Adam and Eve. It's Adam and Eve stepping into sin and then separating themselves from each other and separating themselves from God. The separation happened at the point of the fall, and they began to remove themselves for God. Look at verse number 10. He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Oh, excuse me, verse 9. I, I skipped a verse. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Verse 10. He, Adam, replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Sin separates us from God. I want this to carry more weight than it's ever carried before you, for you in your life. If you've heard this over and over again, if you grew up in church and this is your 950th time to be in church, like, I mean, you've been here a ton, like just over and over and over, or maybe you're into the thousands, or if it's your first time here, I want this to carry weight for you. Sin separates us from God. It's what it does. It just puts distance that we cannot make up on our own between us and God. Again, Adam and Eve initiated the separation. They felt it between them, and they felt it between them and God. What did God do? God came for them, just like he did every morning. He came looking for them. He was planning on walking and talking with them again. And he came for us, and his name is Jesus, and we're going to talk about him today. And he's coming for us today. He's pursuing you. God is coming for you today. If you're separated from God today because of your sin, he is pursuing you right now. In the following verses, like verse 10, 11, and so, uh, the blame game begins. The blame game that continues to this day. She did it. He did it. It was their fault. It was her fault. It was his fault. It was their fault. Everything but taking the blame for their sin. Look now to verse number 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals. Domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. So when you see a snake slithering on its belly today, this is why. They used to walk upright. I don't know how that really worked. I guess maybe kind of like a cobra. But they used to walk upright. Now they're down on their belly. That's the curse of God. Now it shifts in verse, six, uh, verse 15 to the curse that falls upon Satan. God goes on to say, And I will cause hostility between you, Satan... And the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, 
He, who's he here? He is Jesus. He is the Son of God. He, Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophetic verse in Scripture of a Savior whose name is Jesus. This is God telling us there is one coming that is greater than the evil one, and he's going to take you out. He's going to kill the serpent. He's going to slay Satan. And so there's this curse that falls upon Satan and this promise of Jesus that will come. So there's this hostility, this war, this conflict that began all out in this moment between Satan and the Son of God. Sin separates us from God, but listen to me, this is so important, we're going to try to drill this down. Jesus restores us to God. So if Satan separates us, um, excuse me, sin separates us and takes us far, far away from God, Jesus comes for us pursues us, and brings us close to God. Drop down now to verse number 20, and I want you to begin to think about how this sin affects all of mankind. Okay? Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. Everybody raise your hand. Just raise your hand. It's okay. Okay? Just make sure you're awake. This just tells me that Adam and Eve is my mom and my dad. It just told me that Adam and Eve is your mom and your dad. That is so important for us to know and to realize because what they did on this day affects us to this day. Look now to verse number 21. As the Lord God, excuse me, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, this doesn't sound like a very big deal to us as we just do a quick read of this or we're thinking about what we wear, you know, as we think about possibly uh, having some kind of jacket made of leather or whatever that we put on and it's really nice and very expensive and we, we go on about our business and we think, good deal. But think about this for just a moment. They did their best to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. God comes in and says, yes, there is shame now, and you need to be covered. And so he kills an animal to give them clothing. Adam and Eve had very likely never, ever experienced nor seen any kind of death of any shape, form, or fashion until this moment. And if you remember last week's story, God lined up all the animals for Adam to name. Here they go. This animal, that animal, this animal, that animal. He named them all. Very likely, this was one of the very animals that walked by Adam in the beginning that he named. You got any animals at your house that you've named? We do. We've got two of them. We've got a dog and we've got a turtle. We've had the turtle long and we've had the dog. We've had the turtle, what, 18 years now? Oh, 19, excuse me. His name's Squirt. If you want to meet him, come on by. We'll introduce you to Squirt. It's been in our family longer than I've been in our family. She's, my wife's had him longer than she's had me, squirt. And then we've got Rainier, our dog. Okay, you want to make a coat out of some animal? Go for it. But don't take Rainier, right? And you've got your names in your mind too. And definitely don't take squirt. He's been with her longer than anybody. And in this moment, the pain of death becomes a reality for them. God said you're going to die, and death was going to come upon them. This was their first taste of it. They saw and they tasted and put on the covering that came from that death, which is also a beautiful picture of the sacrifice and the death of our Savior for us that was to come. Again, sin separates us from God. 
Jesus restores us to God. Notice the loss. Notice the separation. Reminisce for just a moment about what they had in paradise. What they had in early creation. Remember now the pain and the suffering that came with their separation in the fall. And I definitely want us to take a long look at the restoration and salvation that comes from God. Look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 makes this really, really plain. Verse 12. When Adam sinned, there it is, Adam, that guy we've been talking about over in Genesis. The New Testament says when Adam sinned, thousands of years ago when this was written, more thousands of years ago now, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to, say it with me, death spread to everyone. For, say it with me, everyone sinned. Adam's sin messed all of us up. It messed all of us up. This isn't about good people and bad people. This isn't about religious people and irreligious people. This is the truth that we are all sinners. We're all sinners. Adam caused it. Uh, Theologian of old, I want to read um, a couple of paragraphs to you that he wrote about Adam's transgression, which is huge. It helps bear the weight and understand what it is. Uh, Wakefield says, Man's transgression was a crime of the greatest enormity. Talking about Adam. As to its nature, it was not merely disobedience to divine law on the part of the offender. It was gross infidelity in believing the devil rather than God. Discontent and envy in thinking that God had denied him what was essential to his happiness. Prodigious pride in desiring to be like God. Sacrilegious theft in purloining what God had reserved to himself as a token of his sovereignty. Listen carefully. Suicide and murder in bringing death upon himself and upon all his posterity. Do you know why I die? Adam's choice to sin. Do you know why you die? Adam's choice to sin. Do you know why I didn't have to be taught to sin? Adam's choice to sin. There is a built-in part of our nature now passed down to us from our fathers, Adam causes us to have a propensity to sin. It's just the way we're born today. I'll be honest with you, it's one of the reasons why I'm emotional today because I got to baptize my daughter. My daughter was born in sin because of me. Fathers, hear me. We are the ones that pass along this sin nature. If you know Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and the answer to our issue, which is sin, you need to share it with your children over and over and over and over and over again. You need to give them the hope of Jesus. You need to give them the hope of Jesus. Dads, lead your kids to Jesus. I'm going to read just a little bit more. This comes from another author. His name's Tim Keller. I think it's huge what he says here. He says, the doctrine of original sin levels people. The doctrine of original sin makes it impossible for people from the left to say it's those elites up there, not us common people. And it makes it impossible for the people from the right to say it's you unwashed masses or it's you criminal element or something like that. Not a virtuous people who have good breeding. 
The doctrine of original sin creates a radical democracy of sinners. If you believe in original sin, nobody is better than anybody else. You cannot look down your nose at a criminal or a drug dealer and say, there's a sinner, not me. Because the doctrine of original sin says the same seeds of that kind of behavior are in your heart. Maybe it didn't sprout because you weren't in the very same environment as that person out there. But the fact of the matter is you're no better. We're all sinners. We all need grace. This speaks, believers, listen to me, believers. This speaks into our mission. This is why we've got to tell everybody about Jesus. Because everybody needs Jesus. It's the reason why we've been given the mission of God. In all reality, it is the, listen to me, church, and I pray that you'll receive this with the right heart that I'm trying to deliver it from and that you'll receive it. This is the reason why we are going to two services at Holland Chapel. Because everybody out there who doesn't know Jesus is dying in their sin and they're going to be separated from God forever. And we are committed to carry out the mission of God no matter how uncomfortable that makes us. We want everybody to know about Jesus. We want them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to do it in this place. We want to do it in the workplace. We want to do it in the home place. We want to do it in every place. Our mission is the reason why we're planning a church in Boston where there is no church in that city until now that preaches the gospel. It's the reason why we're planning a church in a city in Peru until now and that church being planted never been a gospel teaching church. That's the reason why we do what we do. Because everybody, young, old, in between, no matter what their skin color is or all their preferences are politically, every single person needs Jesus. They need Jesus. Romans 5 and verse 15. And I'm going to wrap this up quick. But there is a great, this is so beautiful. Here's the good news, okay? But there is a great difference a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. That's us. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man. Say it with me. Jesus Christ. Sin separates us from God, but Jesus restores us to God. How does Jesus do it? How does Jesus do it? Because he lives on this earth as a human being, God in the flesh, completely differently than the rest of us. Differently how? He ate like we ate. He walked like we walked. He talked like we talked. He ate like, he did all those things. Here's the difference. He didn't sin. He didn't sin. Little caveat, you really ought to get onto. It's a huge doctrine. This is where him not having an earthly father but being born of a virgin is so important. Sin nature wasn't passed down to him. Joseph wasn't his father here on this earth. He adopted him, but he was born of a virgin. The sin nature wasn't passed down to him. That's what made Christmas such a big deal. And he lived perfectly. And he said, you know what? I'm perfect. I'm here. I can do something for all of mankind that I love so desperately. And so I'm going to lay down my life on the cross, and I'm going to die for you. And I'm going to die for them. 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 I'm going to die for everybody. 
and I'm going to come back from the dead so that they can have forgiveness, so that they can be restored, so that their sin no longer has to be covered, but so that it can be forgiven and cleansed. So it can be forgiven and cleansed. So feel the weight of your sin this morning. Feel the weight of it. It's something you cannot correct on your own. You can't get enough education to overcome it. You can't outgrow it. You can't outthink it. You can't overachieve it, out, out, outachieve it. Whatever that word's supposed to be there, you can't do enough. You can't do enough. It's Jesus. Sin separates us from God. Jesus restores us to God. I'm going to pray and, uh, in just a minute, and um, our band's going to go ahead, and they're going to start coming forward. They're going to get ready to play, and we want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning to Jesus because we believe what we've preached here this morning as a church. We believe that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes all of us who are here every week. We admit that. And we also believe that this Jesus that we preach and that we teach and that we proclaim really died and really came back from the dead and can really forgive you of your sins. And we want you to experience him today. We want your life to be forever changed in him today. And so we want to invite you to have your sin forgiven through Jesus Christ. We want to invite you to do that. We also want to invite you to do what you as a church are so faithful to do and just being generous. We're going to give you opportunity to give this morning. Make it just a, an act of worship as you give to God this morning as we are able then to carry forth the mission of God in so many other places. If it's your first time here today, man, we'd love for you to drop in that communication card so that we can connect with you. We want you to come back. We want you to come back, and we want you to come back.